Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. And welcome to our first Aviation Stories of the Month episode. Woo! This month was funny stories. So, we're going to get started. I'm going to start. I'm going to apologize in advance for my reading ability. <laughs> As most of you know, is not the most great thing ever. So, our first story comes from David, and he's from Augusta, Georgia. Most of our stories are from David. Yes. Thank you, David. It's funny because he says, but I would rather be in Abilene, Texas, where I was hatched. So apparently he wasn't born in Georgia. He just no. lives in Georgia. By the way, we have a section on here for pronouns. It's only for people who you you identify as other pronouns than, than what your name is, <laughs> Yeah. by the way. You don't have to fill it out. It's totally okay. Yeah, that's a... It's not required on the form. If you don't want to fill that out, that's fine. Because he puts, I'm a guy, an older guy, no idea what you mean. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. But we we know we have some non-binary listeners and we just want to normalize pronouns. Yeah. So, so if, you, if your name has a certain connotation one way or the other and you do not identify as either, that's please when you let fill us that know. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we'll just assume. Yeah. So... The title of this story is, It Was a Dark and Stormy Night. Ooh. Ooh. He says, I was in the back seat of a T-38B Mentor. Ooh, I know one of those. A 50s to 60s Navy trainer that was replaced by the T-34C. Yeah. The B was a piston engine, basically a beach bonanza converted to a tandem cockpit. Yep. The C model was a turboprop. Anyway, we had gone to F.T. Rucker in L.A., which he puts parentheses, Lower Alabama, to participate in a seafood fest in Pensacola. Even though I was a civilian, my buddy, a high school friend, and fellow skydiver who went to the Naval Academy had become a naval flight officer. Not cool. an aviator. Poor eyesight. No. Aw. I feel that. <laughs> he sat in the right seat of an S3 Viking carrier based ASW asset and sweet talk some helicopter pilots into letting me ride in a UH-1 Huey down to Pensacola. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Getting to ride in a Huey? That's freaking awesome. Good for you. <laughs> I ate too much and at the end of the day rode back to Rucker in a Huey. So he rode there in a Huey and then rode back in a Huey, which nice. is cool. That is awesome. Back in the T-34, we took off, and as on the ride down to Rucker, I got to do some flying while Slugo, in parentheses, he says his Navy call sign. Oh, okay. Cool. Sat nervously in front, not unlike my mom, when I learned to drive. That's hilarious. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the downturn this is going to take. Just as it began to get dark, Slugo filled an in-flight update to go from VFR to IFR and took the airplane back. When we saw the clouds, big, dark, anvil-topped thunderstorms with vivid lightning and heavy rain. Ooh, no oh, thanks. no. Oh, no, no thanks. We couldn't go over them, under them, or around them, so it was just straight through. Awesome. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Have you listened to our podcast? You don't do those things. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> The rain hit and things got bumpy, but not too bad. It was dark, stormy, and night when the canopy yes, seals thank failed. You. That makes a little more sense. Now. <laughs> when the canopy seals failed and a Ooh. waterfall inundated us in the cockpit. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's okay. Terrible. That's horrifying. Nothing like going for a swim in the air. <laughs> We both made the kind of noise when someone dumps ice water on your head and the <laughs> instrument panels went dark. Uh-oh. Oh. No illumination whatsoever. Can you hear me? Asked Lugo over the headset. I said, yeah. And he said, at least it still worked. The only time we got any kind of visual reference was when lightning illuminated the clouds. Great. Then awesome. <laughs> then Slugo said he was going to hand me his flashlight, a huge cop-like thing, and that I was to shine the light on his instrument panel awesome. when he asked to go, when he asked, and to also check the wings and tail for ice. Ice? Ice. Yep. 
We were soaking wet, no lights inside the airplane, but luckily the external lights and beacons were working and the radio was in good shape. That is good news. That is very good news. (laughs) Things could be worse. Yes. Slugo contacted Robin's AFB and asked about... Air Force Base. Thank you. And asked about a diversion, but they were below minimums and closed. Ooh. Slugo asked about our actual destination, Dobbins Air Force Base in Marietta, Georgia. Yep. And they were heavy rain with thunderstorms, but still open. So we sloshed along heading to Dobbins. (laughs) Slugo said, you're not saying much. And I said, yep. And looked for ice. (laughs) Yep. Yep. When I flashed his instruments and he gave a thumbs up when he saw enough and I scanned for ice again. Finally, we got Dobbins on the radio and they had just gone below minimums, but gave us a go to land with a final controller and his precision approach radar. Just like in the movies, we heard, you need not acknowledge any transmissions. You are on glide slope. Descend to 2500. Maintain heading. All the while, I'm lighting Slugo's instrument panel. In between commands from GCA, Slugo asked me to drop the flaps and landing gear so he could keep focused on the the stick and the throttle. I told Slugo we had three down and flaps at whatever setting he wanted. At, I can't remember now. Then, through the clouds, we saw the approach lights. I locked my seatbelt harness. Then, at the last second, we broke over the threshold. The wheels thunked onto the runway. Nice. Then, T-34, pull up to 1500 and answer this transmission. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. Okay. Slugo pushed the throttle up to full power and pulled back on the stick. Gear came over the headset, and I flashed the gear handle up, feeling the landing gear thump into place. Flaps up, and I pushed the lever up. Over the radio, Dobbins GCA, this is T-34544 Echo. The GCA controller said he had lost us just as we landed when it began raining extremely <laughs> hard and thought we might have crashed. Oh, oh great. Oh. You so they were win. already on the ground... And they went around. Oh, Wah, wah. Oh, bummer. We laughed nervously, and I unlocked my harness so I could pull the seat cushion out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We did a go-around gear and flaps again, and we touched down. The airplane began to move left and right as we started to hydroplane, but Slugo Ooh, nice. worked the rudder and brakes like a boss good. until we slowed enough to get a good purchase on the runway. Good. I swear I saw Slugo deflate like a balloon as his shoulders sagged. <laughs> we thanked the GCA guy who told Slugo he'd done a great job getting us down, and we taxied to the NAS Atlanta ramp and shut down. Back in the 80s, NAS Atlanta, Dobbins AFB, and Lockheed, Georgia, all shared the same runway. Slugo wrote a gripe complaint about the dry rotted canopy seals and the unprotected electrical system before we hauled ass to a waffle house for hot coffee yeah. and some good greasy <laughs> grub i don't blame you uh no that's terrifying <laughs> yeah the waitress saw how wet we were and asked get caught in the rain something like that i said and we <laughs> laughed and began rehashing the whole thing <laughs> and that's the end of his story nice well, that's pretty funny that was, that was pretty great I like your your title definitely makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. It was dark and rainy and, and night. Yep. Dark stormy night. Oh boy. So I have another one from David. Again, almost all of these are his. Yep. And this one is entitled Helen Keller. During holidays like Thanksgiving, there are big skydiving events called boogies. I don't know why they are called boogies, but they are. <laughs> Usually at a boogie, a variety of jump planes will show up to offset the routine Cessna 182 that is ubiquitous on drop zones all over the country. Mm-hmm. Doesn't your dad have a 182? Yep. There we go. He has a 57, 1957, though. David's probably listening. He's like, ooh. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> it's nice. I've jumped from Beach 18s, short sky vans, which was awesome, hot air balloons, which was even awesomer. That's cool. That's great. <laughs> 
turbo porters and helio couriers that were Vietnam vets and had the patched bullet holes to prove it. Nice. Would occasionally show up. Man, you have some experience in right? your skydiving wow. life. <laughs> but by far the favorite of jumpers the world over is the DC-3. In reality, I can imagine. Yeah. In reality, the DC-3s I've jumped out of were really C-47s and C-53 Skytroopers from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and beyond. I know one C-53 that I had made around 20 jumps from was a D-Day participant. Wow. That's quite a legacy. In my humble amateur aviation history historian perspective, the family of DC-3s can be argued to be among the best designed and built airplanes in history, but they can be hard to spot from. Spotting is the same as aiming. In a skydive, you don't always exit the airplane right on top of where you want to land at. Relative wind has to be taken into account. A brisk breeze at such and such miles per hour could push the jumpers miles away from the landing area if exiting straight up above the landing area. So that has to be compensated for. Also, the jump airplane speed needs to be addressed. The DC-3 moves much faster than a Cessna, and if we don't exit at at least 12,500, then what's the point? 13,000 or 14,000 is even better. So at a boogie one weekend, very close to a little conservative southern town, we decided to make a naked eight-person jump from 13,500 from a DC-3. Oh, jeez. There were four guys and four girls, and some of us had shorts and t-shirts threaded in onto the webbing of our harnesses. And at the lower temperature, above 10 grand, shrinkage is real. Just saying. Oh, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Our spotter, who will go unnamed, looked straight down out of the large open cargo door on the left side of the airplane. There are buttons near the door to tell the pilots to steer right or left. Jump pilots, the good ones, will make flat turns using just the rudder, usually in 5 to 10 degree increments to get us on the wind line. Then time to exit! We line up with one person outside the fuselage grabbing a handle above and to the left of the door and hangs on to the door jam. Yep. That would freak me out. Oh my gosh, okay. The rear floater is also outside hanging on, and when you're out there, it's uncomfortably close to the horizontal stabilizer. Yes. Then the fourth person kneels in front of the center floater and grabs their harness. This is quite provocative when naked. Great. Why are you doing this naked? (laughs) (laughs) The front and rear floater also grab the center floater's harness. They make up the base pin, the four-way that the other four in this case will dock onto and build an eight-way round. The kneeler sees everyone ready and yells, hot, then a push out with ready, a push back with set, then a big push forward with everyone leaving the airplane, go. When naked, we fall a bit faster than if we were wearing flight suits. <laughs> there is a less drag. I can only imagine. And also, really cold. Yeah. <laughs> we aim for the four-way that is the base, looking for a particular parachute container to aim at and dock on. This lessens the probability of slamming into each other in free fall. We build our naked eight-way and hoop and holler and maybe kiss whoever is on the other side of you in what is called a kiss pass. And then at around seven grand, start scanning the ground for the DZ, which I'm assuming is drop zone. Yeah. Should be close by. Where is it? Hmm. Uh-oh. Then the person across from you looks straight out inside, instead of down, and you see their eyes grow wide and they start to shake. That is, move their arms up and down to shake the people he's touching to get their attention. And then we all see the DZ is way over there. And we are over the middle of the little downtown of this. <laughs> of this very Christian conservative community. Oh, no. Uh-oh. You just have a whole bunch of naked skydivers coming at you. <laughs> coming in hot. We break formation and start to track towards the DZ, scooting along at close to 200 miles an hour. Tracking is where you position your body sort of like a, or a ski jumper in the Winter Olympics to become as aerodynamic as possible. Then at around 3,500 flare, wave off, that is, wave your arms back and forth to let anyone around you that you are about to open. Then toss out the pilot chute, get a good canopy over your head, one of those square ram air types, the Golden Knights jump, they jump the best civilian gear tax dollars can buy, and begin looking below you for a place to land because there ain't no way to make it to the DZ. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. One guy landed on the pitcher's mound in the middle of a Little League game. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> oh, no. Both teens chase him off, waving bats at him. <laughs> of course they did. Oh, my God. A few landed in the streets of downtown, giving the tourists and such something to talk about for years to come. Oh, jeez. Thank God there were no cell phones with those pesky cameras back then. <laughs> Yours truly landed in the parking lot of a fish hatchery. I ducked into the bathroom and put my shorts and t-shirt on so I could Uh, not be arrested for indecency. Could have been worse, I guess. A couple of guys and a girl had to wrap their parachutes around them like a toga. A payphone was found, no cells back then, and the DZ was notified we were where we all were and a ride appeared. None of us hurt or arrested, though the little league guy was a bit freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine. On the way back, one guy said, Who spotted that load, Helen Keller? Being the sick individuals we are, that name stuck, and for years afterward, bad spots were referred to as Helen Kellers. Ah. Uh, Got it. Okay, makes sense now. That was terrible. <laughs> that was First of all, why would you ever go skydiving naked? That sounds like a horrible idea. Second of all, <laughs> I just find it hilarious that you're like, where's the drop zone? Uh-oh. And everyone's like, um... I feel like we're over downtown, (laughs) a downtown conservative Christian community. You and of all places to end up, the pitcher's mound at a little league game is (laughs) not the ideal one, especially in this situation. Oh, God. Okay. Thank you for that. I'm surprised none of you were arrested. That was high key entertainment right there. That was high key entertainment. (laughs) Okay, so my turn. So now I get to read a story from somebody else. Before we go back to David's story. (laughs) So this is actually from one of our very avid listeners as well. He uh, likes to comment a lot. Thank you, Rich. (laughs) We appreciate it, actually. You're really good fun. This is from Rich. (laughs) He's from Ohio. I have lots of family in Ohio. Okay, he's not really from Ohio. Yes, He just lives in Ohio. He lives in Ohio. He lives in Ohio. He is from Brighton, Colorado. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. He spent a lot of time here. This story is going to sound very familiar to us. Hmm. This is called plane spotting. Ah, as we are all familiar with. Yes, and he goes to a spot very familiar to us. Does he go on to 120th? Back in the late 90s, <laughs> I was doing some plane spotting at DIA off the north end of runway 16 left. Oh, yep. <laughs> That's that exactly is our spot. where we go all the time. I was parked in my car off the shoulder off the road right under the glide slope, and I had a scanner so I could hear the tower traffic. Everything was going great until... I saw a 727 coming in real low. Oh, I was like, oh, no, he's not going to make it. (laughs) Sure enough, when he got right over the top of my head, what seemed like only a few hundred feet, they went go around and full throttle. I can assure you, you'd never want to get that close to a 727 at full throttle. It was deafening. Lesson learned, don't go in plane spotting on the glide slope. Well, you see... (laughs) The thing about that is... We still do. In that place. We do it on 120th, though. You might have been on 114th, which Mm -hmm. is way closer and is also not legal anymore. Yeah. You actually told us that you could actually do that before 9-11 in our last, what we just posted from our uh, post episode. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so now we can't, you can't park there. Like, airport security will be like, um, you need to... Go away. Yeah. <laughs> you can't park here. I think it's the one spot at DIA that you're told to leave. No, there's a few, but that one is one of them. That's one because it seems... Suspicious. Well, when you drive up to it, it's like, oh, nothing wrong here. And then security shows up and it's like, please leave. Yeah, exactly. Also, it's very much closer to the runway than our spot. Yeah. Because we went by it the last time you we went plane spotting. Yes, we did. We drove by there. It is significantly closer. But yeah, there's a bunch of no parking signs and stuff there. No stopping or anything like that. So his story was short, but good. Thanks, Rich. Thanks. That is so familiar to us. It's not even funny. I mean, it is funny. There but. have been times where we've seen things come in a little low and we're like, hmm, that's a little low. And then they go around and we're like, they were a little low. They were a little low. <laughs> but nothing nothing compares to a 727 back in the day. That quote unquote whisper jet was nothing short of the loudest thing you've heard in your entire <laughs> life. Our next one is from David. Thank you. Hey. (laughs) And the title is Pilots. (laughs) So here's the story. (laughs) 
There were two of us waiting for a very late airplane in Grand Junction, Colorado. Hey! Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. It was a blazing cold night. Brazilla was so far about three hours late due to weather. Oh, nice. Brasilia. Brasilia? Yeah, Brasilia. It's the Embraer 120. Oh. I'm sorry, friends. I'm not... He's the plane person. (laughs) You're getting there. I like planes. I just don't know the alternate names for planes. It's okay. You're getting there. It was about 3 a.m., and in the nice warm station, I was swilling hot coffee with Connie. We decided she'd work the counter and gate, and I'd do the ramp. Hearing nothing on the company radio, and this being 1997, we had limited means of divining the airplane's whereabouts. They were supposed to call in when about 10 minutes out, but as often as not, they didn't, and hearing an airplane sitting on the ramp wondering where the the marshaller was resulted in a mad scramble to park the damn thing, get the GPU set up, and baggage cart, blah blah blah. Better to be out there for just in case. So I was wearing every single layer of long underwear that I could dig up, (laughs) plus my uniform and storm jacket. To which I say, are you over-exaggerating? You're from the South. It doesn't really get that cold. It's pretty cold to them. (laughs) if he was was working here, he probably had plenty of long underwear. Because it gets cold. And the South gets hot. Yeah. They aren't used to this kind of cold. No. I call you a baby, but you also go skydiving naked. (laughs) (laughs) No, not worth it. (laughs) It's like touche. (laughs) Touche. Touche. Gloves, boggin hat. Gloves. You said gloves twice. Wait, did you put two pairs of gloves on? (laughs) I have questions. We have questions. Freezing my ass off. Well, welcome to Colorado in the winter. Yeah. I started the diesel tug, then swatted down under the muffler so that the hot, poisonous exhaust kept me, warm, <laughs> kept me a little warm. And what color were your clothes when you were done with this? Hopefully, you just wore black, and so it wouldn't get stained by the exhaust. I don't know. I marveled at the starry sky, being able to see M31, the mighty Andromeda galaxy? Andromeda. Andromeda, Andromeda. thank you. The mighty Andromeda galaxy that night. When the radio broke, the spell with Connie saying they finally called in. And they, the pilots, had never been to Grand Junction and didn't know where the station was. Uh Uh-oh. I said to tell them to look to the right, taxi off to the right, head 180 back down the taxiway, then look to the left for the tug with the headlights on and the popsicle waving (laughs) the lit wands up and down. They rogered and a few minutes later landed, never exited the runway, kept going straight down the damn runway to the municipal half of the airport. I jumped up and down and cussed a blue streak. <laughs> wow. Connie! I yelled into <laughs> my radio. Where the hell are they going? Just a minute. We don't know where they are. You need to go get them. Oh boy. Excuse me? <laughs> I said many, many cuss words. I would too, by the way. I'd be really pissed off at that. <laughs> uh, I hopped on the Kubota garden tractor we used as a tug and tore <laughs> off at five miles per hour. Woo! <laughs> as fast as the thing could go. You could have probably walked there. I could have fast. run faster, is <laughs> yeah. what he said. As slow as the tug was, the wind hitting my face made it feel like it was going to fall off. The cold made my hair hurt oh (laughs) oh boy you have a hat on calm down (laughs) maybe it was the hair on his face calm down (laughs) if you have facial hair probably would have helped i don't know i don't have facial hair anyway (laughs) (laughs) sorry okay so i rocketed down the slight decline hitting maybe five and a half miles per hour (laughs) (laughs) then slowed to maybe five again on level ground And there they were, facing a Boeing 707 that belonged to a prince from the Middle East. Oh, boy. Good job. Wrong place, yo. (laughs) I drove up on the left side from behind, giving those great big four-blade props a wide berth. The pilot saw me, gave a thumbs up, and adjusted pitch to make the airplane move again. It felt like the Embraer 120 was inches away. 
They never turned off the landing light, so right in front of me, all I saw was the dark, dark well of my shadow. The puny headlights on the Kobata did nothing. I tried <laughs> to get Connie on the radio, but she never responded. I wanted her to tell those idiots to turn the damn light off so I could see. I could hear the prop blades go whoomp, 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 seemingly just inches from the back of my head. <laughs> Were they effing with me? <laughs> I veered away to park next to the baggage cart, and they parked at the appropriate place without any wand waving. And before I could say or do anything, I heard the wet plop of a full trash bag hit the ramp, and every one of them on that airplane were gone. No thank you. Kiss my ass nothing. <laughs> I, hooked, <laughs> I hooked up the GPU, chalked the tires, shut off the master alarm so I wouldn't have to hear the door open, door open, door open yeah. while I cleaned the airplane up, emptied the three suitcases into the baggage cart, braving another five-mile-per-hour wild ride to the baggage belt, <laughs> <laughs> then back to airplane and out of the wind. Connie said over the radio she'd be a few minutes, and I said not to worry as I helped myself to some Bloody Mary mix and honey-roasted peanuts. <laughs> the perks of the job, oh, and dear. mumbled unkind things about those pilots. <laughs> That's great. That was pretty fantastic. That was pretty great. <laughs> Were they effing with me? Turn the <laughs> damn light off. <laughs> All right, another one from David. This one is entitled Big Bang. I always wanted to fly. I joined NJROTC and the Civil Air Patrol in high school to facilitate this, but at 16 was diagnosed with celiac disease. Ah, oh, oh, sad day. Sorry. No pasta. Sorry. No no anything with no me bread. in it. No beer. Oh, bruh. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that would make life hard. Nobody with celiac goes into the military. Not ever. Not for any reason. And a l hidden learning disability shot my GPA to hell, so college wasn't exactly in the offing. All my friends had gone off to college or the military, and there I was, bored out of my mind. I saw an ad in the newspaper about a first jump costing something like $45 about 45 minutes away in Cartersville, Georgia. And so I said, why not? And went. I figured if I could not afford flying lessons, then at least I could get half a ride, jump out, land, and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I got hooked. One jump led to five, then to 20, and two years later, I had over 300. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, that's a lot. One day, we went to uh, DZ, south of the Atlanta airport, to jump their Beach 18, a twin engine. Those are so... Cool. A twin-engine, twin-tailed, 1930s small airliner turned cargo jump plane. Yeah. These are so cool. There's still one of them wandering around, wandering around here in Colorado that's active. And uh, it, it's just the coolest thing. They're, they're tail wheels, so they lean back. Mm -hmm. They're You know when you picture like the, like the adventure movies, like Indiana Jones and mm -hmm. stuff? They got yeah, that yeah. big twin prop that leans back on the tail. That's mm -hmm. basically what you picture. Got it. Ah. It's a Beach 18. Eight of us were going to... 8,500 and do some eight-way RW, or relative work, where you sort of square dance in free fall. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. The DZ had a grass dirt runway, and on one end of that runway, there was a hump, a rounded mound of dirt to sort of launch the airplane up to <laughs> clear some trees that could not be cut down. That's nice. <laughs> God. So we get in, sitting on the floor, facing aft. We taxi. Small talk yelling as it's too loud for a normal voice conversation, and I'm sitting next to Myron. I hated Myron. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Myron was very handsome for a guy. Black hair, dark eyes, muscles, you get the picture. Sometimes Myron would disappear for a month or two, and turns out he built his dad a cabin on top of a mountain. I couldn't replace a screen door latch without an ER visit. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was a handy guy, apparently. Or he'd show up at a party with a goddess, or and we'd say, "How did you meet her?" Art class, he'd say, and then didn't know you were, and then didn't know you were in an art class, and he'd say he was a nude model, Apollo, <laughs> and she was Venus. Ah, uh, great! This is going splendidly. Yes, obviously. So there we were. The power comes up, and we begin to roll. I loved feeling that power of the engines and the slight G on takeoff. The door was off, and the ground. 
the trees, the bushes had started to whiz past, I think is what you said. Then we hit the ramp and bang, it sounded like a sledgehammer on a hubcap. Oh no. All eight heads dropped to look at chest-mounted altimeters, not enough air to even register. I looked at Myron, who was who worked as a corporate pilot for GA Power, the big electric company. Oh boy. Uh-oh. And he was shaking his head yelling, I didn't like that! <laughs> nah, we thought you were having a great time. Well, if Mr. Pro Pilot didn't like it, who was I to argue? <laughs> I carefully, so as not to shift the CG, looked out the right side, and the prop was not moving. <gasps> oh, no. <gasps> Myron looked out the left side, and the engine was in the treetops acting like a giant weed eater. All of us began zipping up zippers, tightening nice. chin straps and harness straps, and giving pick checks to whoever was sitting in front of us. You meant pin checks, because you clarify later. Pin checks are to make sure the steel pins that hold the main and reserve canopies in the container are free and yeah, clear important. to open when it's time to do so. Yes. All business now. No wet willies. No popping zits on the guy's neck in front of you. No more play at all. Sit still and wait for the crew to say what to do. <laughs> yeah. From up front. We lost an engine. We'll try to get some air below us. Hang tight. We all keep an eye on the altimeters hanging on our chest straps, wishing the old beach to go higher. Then, we can't hold it anymore. You gotta get out now. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Gosh. The altimeter says 1,200 feet. Barely enough, but good enough. One by one, we bomb out. Jump out head first and open. I do a 180 to look at the beach. Smoke trailing from the dead engine and open my canopy. Now, where the hell am I? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Uh-oh. Lots of trees, lots of houses, which means lots of power lines to look out for. Ah. There's a convenience store with a big empty parking lot, but I can't make it. I see a front yard that's fairly big, and I am for that. Maneuvering my square ram air parachute over the dreaded power lines, transformers, <laughs> and stout poles to that front yard. I go three-quarter brakes, lift my legs to clear a treetop, full brakes, full flare, and tippy-toe land on some really nice grass. <laughs> I look for the other seven, but I was so focused on my landing, I lost track of everyone. I'm daisy-chaining my lines that early Sunday morning when I hear my name called. It's Myron, who landed two streets over. He, too, had seen the store and was heading that way. Pretty much all jumpers back in the 80s carried a 20, a 5, some 1s, and about a dollar's worth of change in the thigh pocket of the jumpsuit for emergencies like this. <laughs> We finished daisy chaining our lines to make the open parachute easier to carry and talked about the emergency exit and was everyone okay and how was the airplane. And then we were at the store. We dropped the gear and the flight suits to cool off in our t-shirts and short pants and I went inside for a couple of Mountain Dews while Myron called the drop zone on a payphone. 30 minutes later we were back at the drop zone as was the airplane with its blown cylinder and everyone else made it back too. One guy landed on a narrow earthen dam surrounded by trees and water. He was still oh, shaky hours later. Yeah, of course. Uh, I would think he so. He got pretty lucky. Ooh. As there was a fine and functioning Cessna 182, we packed and got in and this time jumped successfully. <laughs> it was a good day. Okay, I would not jump a second time after the first time went that bad. Lightning doesn't strike the same place twice, right? That is the case. And with skydivers too, it's like... You already do that really risky thing of just jumping out of the airplane, you know, and jumping out of a perfectly much fine the, airplane. Pretty much when you jump out of the airplane when it's not working, that part doesn't even scare you anymore. You've already gone past that point of being scared of this stuff, so go, go, go! Oh, shit. <laughs> I also like how you got stuck with the person you didn't like <laughs> yeah. to get back to the drop zone. Oh, oh boy! All right. Okay. So I have one last story from our friend O in Augusta, Georgia. This one is called Bird and Idiots. Ah, great. Jumping out of airplanes occasionally results in something being lost, like a shoe or a helmet. This is usually from something happening in a formation that had been built, like in a horny gorilla. What? Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know. He has that in quotations. I'm guessing that's some sort of formation. Yeah. Uh, sure. We'll sure. move on. I have, no, I have no idea where the name came from, and a gorilla is not a serious competitive formation, as in you won't see the Golden Knights at the Nationals doing one. But it is a blast to do, especially out of the back of a short sky van. That is a, quite the little airplane for skydiving. Uh, it, it has a drop door out of the back. Great. Awesome. So eight of us formed a very tight eight 
way around with close, with close grips on the handles of our flight suit sleeves. We shuffled to the tailgate at 12,500, and the key person who signals the other seven of us when to do what nods up and down, ready, set, go, and out we went. We flipped upside down, then right side up, then settled into a tight, fast-falling eight way round. Then the key does a big head nod, and we all throw our legs up into the middle of the circle and establish leg grips. Then the key nods again, and we let go of the arm grips. Immediately, the circle begins to spin faster and faster until we start getting thrown out, spinning out on our backs. Then we flip over, check around, check around for clearance from others, wave off, and open. We all land one after the other, giddy from the jump. As we take off the rigs to repack, one guy, whom we called Barnyard, was missing a Nike. It came off at some point in the freefall. It was now getting dark. No more skydiving that day. So we opened beers and repacked. Barnyard was saying his foot was cold. So someone got a Burger King bag out of their car <laughs> and gave it to Barnyard. <laughs> oh, dear God. He stuck his foot in it and immediately stepped on a ketchup pack, which... <laughs> which popped all over the bottom of his foot. <laughs> which the rest of us found hilarious. Oh maybe 10 God. minutes after <laughs> Maybe 10 minutes after that, a dark brown sheriff's car pulls up, a deputy gets out, and he's holding a Nike. <laughs> Please tell me he got hit by the shoe. Please tell me he got hit by the shoe. He smiles, says, "How y'all doing? Anyone recognize this?" And he sees Barnyard with a very, very similar looking Nike and a Burger King bag on the foot <laughs> that would match the preferred a Nike. Barnyard says, um, I might have seen it before. <laughs> and the rest of us have to turn around as we're beginning to fall apart laughing. The deputy gives it to Barnyard laughing and says, this farmer about a mile away watched y'all jump. Then maybe a minute later, one of his cows falls over, moves really loud. <laughs> Jumps up and runs oh off. He thought it might be a snake, so he gets his shotgun and goes a-looking for this snake. But sees this shoe and says, Them goddamn idiots. <laughs> Only thing that falls out of the sky is bird shit and idiots. <laughs> then he called us. Just tie them laces a little tighter next time. Still chuckling, he walks away, gets in his car, and leaves. From that day on, we all carried extra shoes to the drop zone. <laughs> That's amazing. I also wouldn't wear Nikes. Those aren't inexpensive. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great it hit a cow, though. Yeah. If it couldn't, <laughs> if it couldn't hit the police officer, I'm glad it hit the cow. Oh, God. Well, David, you've done some good stories for us. Rich, that was a good short story. We are we, aiming great. for more. We can, we can tell one of our stories, one of our funny stories. Do you have one? We have the, when we went to the New York trip, the flight attendant. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I was dating someone else at the time. For those of you who haven't listened to our post episodes, Nick and I are actually dating. Um, have been for about six years. But before that, I was dating this other guy named Sam. And we were on this band trip to New York. And so, he and I were sitting in the very back row of the plane. I don't know what kind of plane it was. You would remember that. 737. Okay, there we go. Um, and we were on our way to LaGuardia. I'm sorry. It's a little better now. <laughs> Continue. And across the aisle from us was a trombone player, so already trouble. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Named Xavier. You were dating a percussionist at the time. I know. Don't remind me. So was Miranda in my defense. Don't remind me. <laughs> anyway. So one of the flight attendants who was stationed in the rear was like, so what kind of group are you guys? And we're like, we're band kids. And he's like, great. So is that kid up there? And he motions to one of our friends, Zach, who has a giant afro. And he's like, he's got to be a bassoon player, right? And we're like, how did you know? <laughs> he's like, I'm one of you. And so he had a deck of cards and he was like doing these magic tricks the whole flight. He was a lot of fun. And at one point he goes over to Xavier and he's doing card tricks, like find the card, whatever. And at one point, he's like, look un look under where you're sitting. And Xavier's like, nah, couldn't you couldn't be. do that. 
And so he goes to reach underneath, and the flight attendant is like, nah, not that good, and walks away. And then after we touch down, <laughs> the flight attendant goes, Xavier, look under your rear. And there was a card, and he left. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Xavier was in shock. He's like, no. And he would not shut up about it. It was great. He was sitting in that seat the, the entire, entire time. time. He yeah. didn't get up to walk around, use the bathroom, none of that. There was no way the card could have been there. This he, guy did a good job. He was like a really professional magician. He was a really talented magician, and he spent literally the entire flight amusing all of us, which... Yeah, you know, the other the other probably 40 people on the plane that weren't in our group probably weren't very amused by this because we were all being really loud. But this was a middle-of-the-day flight, yeah, so... Yeah, it wasn't eh, like whatever. it was a night flight. He was, like, no. going up and down the aisle because we were, like, what, halfway halfway through economy, right? Something like and that. And all the way I don't back. Know. I was, yeah. It was the entire band, or most of the band. Yeah. Well, were we on two planes? We, we ended up being on... Two different flights. I think some went with the the theater kids. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or the orchestra kids. Yeah. Both? Them too. I know there were theater kids. Yeah, I'm the theater pretty sure there were orchestra kids. There, there were, were orchestra, orchestra kids. kids. Yes. But look at us remembering. He stuff. so my last name is at the beginning of the alphabet and it went all the way up to Were you on the plane? So at least P. I was on the I was on the plane. I was on. Guess the... who I was sitting next to? Brendan. Oh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Alphabetical. Nick's last name starts with P I, and Brendan starts with P A. So. Yeah. So, uh, he was just going up and down the aisle, just entertaining all the band kids with magic tricks. I still mm-hmm. have that video somewhere. We should pull that up. Sometime. Maybe we'll post it on the patreon page if i ever get around to uh finding it yeah yeah but that was our fun story that was really fun yeah i don't think i don't, I don't how think did I you know he played bassoon <laughs> apparently all bassoon players at one point have to have a giant afro apparently i probably have a couple of funny stories but uh, so oh oh tell so it's not on a plane or even like i don't know it was in an airport hey that works and it was aviation stories. That's what we said. Same trip. So we're coming back from New York, and Nick is filming Brendan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and asking him how the trip was. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about this. So I had been filming most of the trip because before before I was really deeply involved in aviation, which I loved airplanes my whole life. But before I was really deeply involved in aviation after high school, I wanted to go to film school. So I was filming everything. I was filming our whole trip and stuff. That's why I have video of all of this. We get off the plane when we get back from New York, and mind you, this was like four or five days of just complete chaos. Wall to wall itinerary, like none of us no rest time. None of us slept more than three hours in a night, I swear. And so we were we were all you're lucky. We were all as loopy as could be. We were all completely exhausted. So we get off the plane back in Denver and we get on the moving walkway and I have this video somewhere, but I turn to Brendan and I say, So what'd you think of the trip? And he goes well, flight home good was bad. <laughs> and he goes, flight good, flight bad. And I go, Brendan, stop talking. <laughs> and he, to this day, he still doesn't know what yeah, he's trying to so, say. So the funny part is, like, so he laughed it off then, but then I asked him about it later. I was like, what were you trying to say? He's like, what was I trying to say? <laughs> he's like, what, what are you talking about? I had to show him the video, and he still is like, I have no clue what I was trying to say there. Flight home good was bad. Flight home good was bad. <laughs> oh, boy. I think he was trying to say the flight home was good and, or the flight home wasn't bad. But oh, he but somehow he mixed, mixed the them two? and it just came out that way. And <laughs> it just, it was just a mess. It was just, a, we were all a mess. We were all tired. So I get oh, it. Oh, gosh. But so there's that one. Um, oh, I have one. Okay. So there was a bunch of kids with us on this trip. This is from the same trip. So we're in New York, and we have several people in our band, two mainly, who are very big vegans. Oh, And God. so uh, I think I know what the you're bass say. player, yeah, the double bass that actually played with the band, his name is Ryan. He 
is trying to find this vegan place, like, that's super popular. And we're like, okay, we'll just follow you, right? And we're just, like, following him around because we weren't allowed to be alone and there wasn't much to do the first day we got there. So we're following Ryan and he's taking us all over New York. And I, I'm in this group, too, and I'm with Sam. And Sam has it pulled up on his phone, but he can't. It's, he, this was back when Apple Maps had just come out. It was terrible. And was so horrible. Awful. And it's so still we couldn't weird. figure out which direction we were facing until at one point I'm like, okay, look, that way's north. This is that street. This is that street. We're going that way. It was across the street. We literally started out across the street from the place and we ended up walking like five blocks to go across the street. <sighs> uh. Well, one of those two vegans that was with you was also seated in a different row, but I think it was I think she was only other like one or two rows in front or behind me on the flight there yeah. into LaGuardia, which those of you that know LaGuardia, you know that three of the thresh the runway thresholds are in the water. Are basically out of the water. So we're approaching over one of them. And of and course poor Vicky. Of course it looks like we're about to land on the water, as you do in LaGuardia. And as we get really close all we hear is, ah! <laughs> she just screams at the top of her lungs. And then we touch down, of course, on the runway, just like you do in LaGuardia. Oh, my gosh. So she was just all freaked out. Of course, those of us that knew what was going on, we were like, no, we are going to land not in the water. But this was my first time in a plane, too, for the record. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. But still, it was, yeah, I don't know, she just, it was just funny to hear her freak out. I actually, she had one of my cameras, and so oh, that boy. was captured quite clearly on the camera she was holding. <laughs> so, another thing that happened on this trip. So, oddly enough, Sam and I have the same last name. So, his mom used to be a flight attendant for United, who was, who we were flying. And she was like, oh, you're freaking out about the flight. I'm like, no, it's just my first flight. And she's like, I'm going to make sure you guys are seated together. Like, okay, whatever. So she's Little like, did you know? Didn't have to do anything. She's like calling all of these people she knows trying to get us seated together. And eventually she gets a hold of somebody and they're like, you mean Sam so-and-so and Christy so-and-so? They have the same last name. They are seated together. And she's like, oh. Ow. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I didn't know that was your first flight. Yeah. Didn't we go to Chicago first? Or was that on the way back? That was on the way back. That was on the way back. Oh. I just remember going through the rainbow tub. The kids, the theater kids went through Chicago on the way there. Yes. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, I can tell the story where I almost was late for that trip. Oh? I so, remember that. Yeah, the bus that was taking us was a charter bus. At 3.30 in the morning. It was really early. And they actually didn't have enough room for all of us to be on the bus. So uh, the roof dog, who was our band director, he had asked for like five people to take themselves to the airport. So my mom's like, oh, yeah, I can take you to the airport. No problem. My mother gets lost going around the block, by the way. <sighs> so so does my mom. I um, Everything's fine. My mom also is notorious for leaving later than I'd like. Always. So we eventually get on the road. I was already packed and ready to go. I was waiting for her to get ready. And I'm on, we're on the way there. I legit showed up to departures right when you guys were going through the line to check everybody's baggage oh and boy i was so scared i wasn't gonna get there in time because if you didn't get there to check in with your um chaperone yeah you were left behind and i was yeah. like mom mom she's like calm down i'm like mom do you know where you're going mom mom because the last time i went to the airport with her she went on to i uh, e470 instead of oh uh, god staying on pena so we're going, we're going, we're going. She takes a wrong turn somewhere. Oh, no. We end up at the wrong place. We have to turn around. I'm like, mom, mom, mom. And she's like, stop freaking out. You're freaking me out. Stop freaking me out. This also, by the way, was before like GPS was in your car. And we didn't have like smartphones yet. No, you had MapQuest. And let me tell you yeah. about MapQuest. <laughs> It's not great. So I literally get there. I'm like in tears. I'm like, I'm never letting you take me to the airport again. Good news is pretty much every time you travel, you travel with us. And I know how to get to the airport just fine. Well, and you told my mom how to get there. So that if she ever has to pick us up, she only has had to pick us up once. But 
yeah, she can get God. lost that at that point. Yeah. But oh, I, I literally geez. almost couldn't go on that trip. I was so upset. I'm like, next time I'm taking the bus. <laughs> there's only like four roads between here and the airport. Not that hard. <laughs> oh my but my mom literally gets lost going around the block. Yeah. So I, I have an actual aviation directly story. I was in an airplane for this. Great. Woo. My dad and I were flying back. We, we went to pick up this airplane for a friend of his who owns a flight school. We were flying back from basically Monterey, California. Uh, Salinas would be a lot closer, actually. Salinas, California to Denver. We were flying to uh, what I call Jeffco, or what is now the Rocky Mountain Metro- Metropolitan Airport. Or BJC. Or BJC. In any case, so we're flying this airplane back, and we knew it was going to take a couple of days. Because of weather. This is in February, by the way. Because of weather, because of mountains, we're in a Piper, basically a Cherokee, so altitude wasn't on our side. We couldn't climb over these mountains. The highest point that we got in the entire flight anywhere on the trip was 11,500 feet when we were over flat land. Ah, great. Near Flagstaff, Arizona. In any case, so we had hopped from Salinas to Las Vegas, no problem. We stayed in Las Vegas overnight, enjoyed the city a little bit. Next morning, up early, we flew from Las Vegas. We were planning to stop in Albuquerque, so fly over the entirety of Arizona with no stop. Over to Albuquerque. This would put us about five, six hours into our trip. And then get fuel there, then carry on to Denver. That was the plan. We were going to go over to basically the plains, get off of the mountains, and shoot straight up the front range to Denver. Well... In doing so, we were planning on stopping in Trinidad if we really, really needed to for fuel, for whatever. We get to Albuquerque, get our fuel. We start to see there's weather reports. Notoriously, along the Cal- the Colorado and New Mexico border, is it, it, it gets a little bit of altitude, and there's just this. There tends to be a wall of clouds along that border, and that wall was sitting there. The altitude at the border is about 9,500 feet. So, the clouds were sitting base at 9,500 feet on the ground, all the way up to like 14,000, 15,000 feet. Nope. We weren't going over these things. So, we get going from Albuquerque and we we think, okay, we just need to make it over the border to Trinidad. If we can stop in Trinidad, then we can gauge from there what to do next. Uh Uh-oh. Well, Trinidad is on the other side of that wall of clouds. Which is funny because actually we were we got to the plains and we're flying north and we can see the wall sitting along the border. Look look left goes all the way to the mountains. Mountains are up to fourteen thousand feet. We're like mm, can't go that way. Look right and it goes as far as the horizon over the plains. We're like hmm we're not flying around this. So as we're flying at this wall, we're getting within miles. There's a little town called Raton, New Mexico. It is right there, just before the border. It is about equidistant from the border of Trinidad on the other side. So, as we're right next to Raton, my dad and I are looking down. We keep kind of peeking at it, looking at the wall, trying to decide what to do, looking at the GPS. And then all of a sudden, the guy over the the air traffic control, uh, over uh, flight following, we were using flight following for the entire trip, which is just really helpful. They help you get through airspace, they help you avoid traffic, all this, that, and the other, even though we were VFR. So we're flying flight following, and the guy comes on over the radio and goes, would you like to divert to Raton? Us us not even having said anything at all. My dad and I look over. It's right to our left. The airport is like... Yes, thank you. The airport is like three miles to our left. We're up at like 10,500 feet. The airport's at like 7,500 feet. Dive, dive, dive. My dad goes... Yep, we're diverting to Raton. <laughs> we dove for it. And actually, the, really, the the next funny thing that happened is we, you know, this is an untowered airport. It has a Unicom. So in other words, one radio frequency. And normally at those airports, you just report your position just in case there's any other airplanes in the area. They basically know where you are. Well, we report our position as turning on to base. As we do that, a voice comes back over the radio from the ground in the Raton building. It is staffed. There is there. <laughs> we had no clue. 
We get on the ground. There's like three parking spots at this airport, and the guy is right there to greet us. <laughs> Helps us. <laughs> nicest guy in the world. Really, he was. And this place had a little, like his family lives on the airport. He takes care of it. Um, younger guy. And he, uh, they had like three cars, basically, that they owned that they kept at the airport for anybody to use, basically. They're like, nice. you fly in, you can drive into town. Well, great. Because we sat there for about five minutes, chit-chatting with him, looking at the weather, going, this isn't going away today. I guess we're staying here tonight. <laughs> so we ended up staying in Raton, New Mexico. Next morning, get up early, go out to the airplane, take off. Borders, there's a little bit of clouds along one part, but we can see to the east there is a clearing. Okay, great. We are going around this. So we get around it. We're flying over the eastern plains, which is nothing to see at all. Completely flat, brown land. Southern Colorado, there's nothing there. We're flying along, and eventually we're like, okay, we just need to straight shot it up the front range to BJC. We get up to parallel with Colorado Springs, and as Colorado does, we've got clear skies all around us, but right dead in front of us is a nice big snow cloud. <laughs> it's February. We're looking at the thing going, hmm. We don't have many diversion opportunities to the east. This thing's coming from the west, heading east. It's going to block our path. Colorado Springs, we can, we're can we staring at it off our left side. We're about 10 miles out from it, but we can see it. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? My dad and I are contemplating, contemplating, contemplating. Air traffic controller comes on. It looks like there's some weather ahead of you. Are you considering Colorado Springs? <laughs> My dad and I look at each other. Yep. <laughs> That's oh exactly what we're going to do. So we let him know. It took them a while. We ended up circling for a little bit. And uh, then we began our approach. And we're watching this cloud layer move in over the airport. Literally watching it move in. And my dad and I are thinking, we still haven't gotten our clearance to land yet. We're getting really close. We're like mile out. Still haven't gotten our clearance yet. We call the tower and he goes, hold on. Okay. <laughs> we're freaking out because the airport's about to go below minimums for us. We're VFR. We have to land. We don't have many more opportunities. There's only two other airports just east of Colorado Springs, and we could land at one of those, but it would be risky. So we're getting really close. We're like half mile, clears us to land. Sweet. We fly directly over an MD-82 that's on a taxiway just off the end of one of these runways. Fly right over the MD-82. We touch down in clear skies. By the time we roll off the other end of the runway, we're deep in the snow. Oh, great. great. <laughs> we, my dad and I were like, whoo! <laughs> that was going to be really bad. Taxi passed a C-17 on our way over to the jet center. <clears throat> like, we're like nose to nose. We're in a Cherokee. So we're like the height of its front landing gear, staring up going, wow! Those really are big! <laughs> Taxi past it, park, get out, go into the jet center, and waited for about three hours for the snow to pass. And it did, as Colorado does. Then we had perfectly clear blue skies. And Thanks, we Colorado. Made it, we made it to Jeffco, no problem after that. But we had two deviations on our trip, and both went about the same. Wow. Nice. So that's my funny story. So next month is Spooky Stories. We already have one. Yes, we do. Thank you, Rich. So, if you have any spooky aviation stories, and it can be, like, from anything we said. If it's from a trip you took, or you worked at an airport, or you heard something on an airplane, or you experienced something scary on an airplane, right? Like, if you... There are plenty of people out there with those stories. Yeah. I know there are. If, like, there's a plane that, like, dropped, like, 100 feet, and then everything was we're looking, fine. We're looking for spooky, scary stories. Spooky, scary for October. We're going we're gonna to tell around the campfire for October or something so that is for next month if you want to be on next month's episode if you need assistance on where you should do that it is on our website hardlandingspodcast.com you go to the listener submission tab tab and it has everything you need to know about what you need to submit um, the three things that are required are your name a title and your story the other two things we're just curious about. So the pronouns, again, if you don't want to do the pronouns, you don't have to. We'll just assume them. So if you're okay with that, that's fine. And the other is like where you are from because we just want to know where you're from. So 
thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed our first listener stories. That was actually really fun. I really Hopefully. liked yeah. that. Hopefully you enjoyed a little break from our disastrous episodes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and got a little bit of a laugh out of this. It's something different. This is what we hope to keep doing. It's more audience engagement with you guys. Because obviously we do all your recommendations all the time anyways, so we're doing an entirely audience-driven podcast at this point, which is awesome. But we thought we'd take that a step further and actually tell your stories. We had a few people that were just sending us stories anyways as part of their recommendations. And we were <laughs> like, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. <laughs> which is great. But we were like, we got to make something of this. So we did. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, let us know. You can email us at info at hardlandingspodcast.com. We are very good at getting back to you, mostly because one of us, <laughs> yep. me, has no time uh, or has all the time and nothing to do. So, well, thanks for listening. And again, more information on the website. And we'll catch you next time. Keep your speed up. Thank you to everyone who submitted their story for this episode. We are your hosts, Nick, Miranda, and Christy. Our theme music was composed by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo. Our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Not a Boogeyman. To submit your aviation story, go to hardlandingspodcast.com. And check us out on social media. Catch you next time.